DC Public Library Podcast is made possible in part by the Institute of Museum and Library Services and is a production of the labs at DC Public Library. You're listening to DC Public Library Podcast recorded from the Recording Lab Studio in historic modernized Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library in downtown Washington, DC. This is Get Lit, a series on everything literary and book related. Hello, I'm your host, Christopher Stevenson, also Adult Services Librarian at Parklands Turner Library. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to main? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days o' lang syne? We twa herein about the breeze and put the goings fain, but we've wandered money a weary fit sin old lang syne. We twa he paddled it the bourn, frae morning sun till dain, but seas between us braid hid road, sin old lang syne. And here's a hand, ma trusty fear, and gives a hand o' thine, and we'll tak a recht good willy wacht for old lang syne. And surely you'll be your paint stope, and surely I'll be mine, and we'll tak a cup o' kindness yet for old lang syne. For old lang syne, my dear, for old lang syne. We'll tak a cup o' kindness yet for old lang syne. Princess Saint-Pierre, a story from Tales of Virtuous Stepmothers. To compensate for her lack of feet, Saint-Pierre was granted a sedan chair with four footmen to carry her around. But the young princess grew restless from the constant sitting, and she would climb out of the sedan using her arms and then crawl on her hands and knees. The queen, Saint-Pierre's stepmother, did not wish to see Saint-Pierre crawling on all fours like a beggar. Not to mention the fact that crawling caused her clothes to get dirty, so she summoned an acrobat from a traveling circus to train Saint-Pierre to walk on her hands. Saint-Pierre wore gloves to keep her hands from getting dirty, and when the princess's hands grew tired from the handstands, she would sit on a small throne to rest. Eventually, Saint-Pierre's parents found a little black pig that could carry her when she wasn't using her arms. From that day on, Saint-Pierre could be seen riding her fat little pig around the grounds of the castle. The princess named her pig Clementine and fed her with fragrant rose water and wild mushrooms. Saint-Pierre bathed the little pig with water infused with soap and lavender so that she would smell nice. Saint-Pierre's stepmother soon noticed that the princess's attire was ill-suited to her new active lifestyle. One time, when the princess stood on her hands, the skirt of her dress fell over her face. After the servants set her upright, Saint-Pierre's stepmother decided that her stepdaughter needed a new wardrobe. These dresses are not supposed to be worn upside down. The princess will fall and break her back if she can't see where she's going. Saint-Pierre must have clothes that do not impede her mobility, but make the garments look elegant. I won't have her exposing her bloomers to the entire court. Thank you for having me. My name is Georgina Warren. I have lived in the Washington, D.C. area for several years. I work at the Library of Congress in the Acquisitions and Preservation Directorates. Before that, I had recently completed my master's degree of library science at Catholic University, a wonderful institution. And I have recently debuted my first book, Tales of Virtuous Stepmothers. When I was growing up, I learned that the fairy tales that 
feature characters with wicked stepmothers like Cinderella and Snow White didn't reflect the life that I shared with my family. My father and stepmother have always tried to be good parents and they taught me many useful things. And we've also had a whole lifetime of sharing memories and traditions and experiences of traveling to new places and sharing day-to-day -day responsibilities at home and within our community. And so after college, I had this idea that we needed a new collection of fairy tales to draw inspiration from. And so I developed this collection, Tales of Virtuous Stepmothers, which is a set of 12 original fairy tales that depict the stepmother as a more heroic figure. In this collection, she is a protective guardian and mentor, protecting her family from adversity. And since then, I have been involved in several opportunities to promote this book. I have been featured in an interview with Laura Jenkins on her podcast channel, In The Blend, to talk about my work and my inspiration for it. And I have recently had a review printed in one of DC's local publications. You may want to check out Michelle LaFrance's review of the book in the November 2023 issue of the Hill Rag magazine. You can also find it available in paperback and ebook on Amazon. And if you want to shop local, you'll even find it in politics and prose. My stepmother has been a very pivotal parental figure to me. She grew up as the eldest daughter in a military family with six kids. So she had early experience of taking care of people. She's also a very entrepreneurial woman, working her way up to become a renowned landscape architect. She has done work with Housing and Urban Development and Congress for the New Urbanism to develop more sustainable neighborhoods and gardens. Is there anything else you would like to say? You have access to the airwaves. I would like to reach out to all blended families and to let them know that being a stepmother can be a very hard job. While it is true that more divorces and remarriages are commonplace in our modern society than they were at the time these traditional fairy tales were written, um, the fact remains that we could do a lot better at dismantling this negative stereotype because there are many good stepmothers in the world who are trying to be supportive and loving parents. And it is important to know that with commitment over time and sharing daily routines, commitments, I feel that family bonds can grow much stronger that way. And when you're a child, you are very deeply committed to the family unit that you were born and raised in. But as you grow older, your world is about to get much bigger and you don't need to be afraid of it. You're going to find many more wonderful people out there, classmates, teachers, and then colleagues when you get your degrees and go to work. And you'll find many more wonderful people so that other people may help you find opportunities that you have never imagined. And what are your wishes for the new year? My wishes for the new year would be for more stepmothers to find my book, Tales of Virtuous Stepmothers, and for them to share these stories with their families and stepchildren, bio and half kids, so they can then lead to the beginning of new traditions that will entertain and inspire generations to come. 
to days of long ago, when winter covered all the world, and all was lost in snow. For all the north was frozen then, from field to fjord to forest, and voices of the northern winds did join in frosty chorus, each note a flake of blowing snow, racing like a herald, entreating all to listen close and heed their icy carol. Endless night claimed the land, the empress moon reigned above a kingdom of wolf and shadow. Yet there was a thing that moved across this land that caused wolves to raise their heads to listen a blaze of fire seen behind a picket of trees. It chased long shadows as it slid across the snow. Its approach sent wolf and darkness alike fleeing before it. What was this rolling bonfire? Was it perhaps a vagabond star, fallen to earth and lost, seeking new home in the snowy valley? In truth, it was a sleigh that passed across the land, though it could be understood why wolves might scatter its approach. For this was a sled like a ship of war, a longboat of the land. Lanterns blazed in each of its corners, it jingled with its swinging chains. What pulled the sledge, linked to the log of the pull bar, was a pair of great bears. They rollicked as they plowed through the snow, as if blasting through these deep drifts were nothing but joy unbounded. They gambled in rhythm to the chanty bellowed by the sleigh driver. If he was happy, then so were they, for they loved him with a great brew in love that knows no bounds, and for him they would happily die when their time came, as indeed it did in future days. In furs of white, the driver was clothed, with a long hood that streamed behind him like a banner. His beard jutted forward with jaunty defiance. His eyes sparkled with tears from the icy wind that froze a grin to his face. He sang in a baritone rumble whose meter was the rise and fall of the hills, whose echoes indeed sent packs of wolves fleeing. For this was the sort of man who rode with bears, who laughed in the face of death, not in derision, but in merriment, to pound the gray walker on his bony back and entreat him to a horn of ale, to tell such stories as would have death holding his ribs, aching with merriment, shaking his bony pate to say, I, Kringle, very well, not this day, and wander off still chuckling, with his scythe slung jauntily over his shoulder, having forgotten his hourglass and infinite sack behind. Not this day would Kringle be eaten by wolves, for on this day he was bringing a gift to a maiden, both dusky and fair. Go, Yulfus and Yordi, draw, pull, lads! The moon is full, and the stars are shining, and the clouds have cleared a while. We are near, and if my gift is well received, well then, I will bring you a portion of whatever is shared with me, unless it be a bed of furs and tender company. Ha! Then I'll owe you a feast another night. But ah, slow you down now, brothers. We are near if my nose does not deceive me. All three noses lifted to the air. They were near, they were there. The sled skidded to a clearing. A slender thread of smoke betrayed a small hill to be instead a cabin, buried to the roof and snow. He hauled upon the chains and the bear slowed to a stop, a good and respectful distance away, because bears, even the best of them, cannot help but be bears. Kringle took a sack of fur from the sleigh, grabbed a lantern staff and strode to the half-buried house. There was a door under the heavy brow of snow, and a circlet of evergreen leaves hung the center of the door. To this he lifted his staff of iron and tapped three loud taps. No answer. No matter. He tugged it open, ducked low under the frame, and let himself in. Good moon out there! The snow has stopped! And he trailed off, his voice being better suited for shouting at bears than for quiet murmurs in a crowded home. There was somehow more space in here than seen from outside. A fire burned at the far end, a cauldron on it. 
A woman's shadow eclipsed the fire, adding something to the pot, stirring slow. Her head tilted when she sipped from the long spoon, as if listening to the taste of it. His smile brightened at the shape of her. I come bearing gifts, so I be welcome, he asserted. He ducked under a dangling mobile of knives and ladles, holding the sack outstretched. She was a small woman in height, though ample in all things womanly. Where he loomed and lurched in the dim, his head dodging roots and gourds that dangled from the rafters, she easily walked under it all, her piled top knot of curls scarcely brushing any of it. Where he was pale in the firelight, she comfortably blended to the shadow, except that her eyes glittered and her teeth flashed when she spoke. Gifts. She sighed and shook her head. Her long contemplation of a full moon's night now had a hole broken in it, letting in a draft. Everything these Northmen did was too large and wrong-footed, like their animals up here, moose and elk with their horns banging through trees and feet as big as boulders. And here was a man more moose than the rest, like a moose that wanted to be a house cat, underfoot, here, again, and with a gift. She'd been in a longhouse at a celebration when this man brought a gift before. The door boomed open and he strode in. To the chief he shouted, I have a surprise for you all! Whereupon he threw a sack on the floor and out rolled a head. A head! At a wedding festival. Oh yes, it was a head as big as a barrel, with hair like sea jellies and as many teeth as any shark may have, but still, a head. And as it rolled to a stop near her, one of its great dark eyes looked at her and blinked, a tear rolling down his face. All she could think was perhaps this creature had a family somewhere, waiting for it to bring them food, and it was never coming home. At the feast, this one, this man-moose, grinned and roared with laughter. He caught her look and winked back. A great joke to him. True, the wedding party loved both gift and joke. Some of their warrior women even danced a turn with the head as a partner. Their best linen spotted with gore. She would never understand the one of them. Mad blinded the lot. So... Now here he was, this one, in her home, holding out a sack. I, I thank you, and I don't need gifts. Now here he was, this one, in her home, holding out a sack. I thank you, and I don't need gifts. Anyway, Roots needed chopping, and she was in the middle of something, and he could find his own way out. She dismissed him with a gesture, turned to her table, and worked out her frustration in a furious blur of blade work against the winter onion. Ah, but this one you will love, I think. Ha! The head he pulled from the bag had hair of ivy, and many small eyes, white as pearls, and horns of sticks and no. It wasn't a head at all. It was a shrub of some sort, and green despite the winter. In fact, she was curious. This was true of her in every circumstance. She was curious. Her hunger to know had led her far from her sunny home into worlds of danger. She examined the herb in his hand as he held it up to her and spoke. I've heard it said that you, my friend, bewitch of herbs and art, who knows the plants from root to stem and knows their secret heart. And to myself, I thought perhaps you might not know of this, the plant that only grows in trees that by a storm were kissed, where lightning touched a mighty oak and blasted it with fire. Then, so thereafter, this plant grows that's known to stoke desire. Above the storm, the moon is full. Despite the snow, I climbed to harvest it to give to you that joy in it you'd find. Then many miles I rode to you through snow and wild woods to offer you this simple gift in hopes you find it good. Well, now, here was a thing that cannot quite be refused, an invocation, a gift threefold, first that he to think of her mind and wisdom first, to tease the small creature of her curiosity, to peek its nose out from where it hid, second, that he did gift, give a gift of mighty effort. Perhaps he did climb a tree, perhaps he did so tonight on a full moon, a midwinter, a night of power. Perhaps this plant is what he says, lightning-born with unseen properties. In fact, she now recalled she'd seen puffs of green growing on the tallest dead trees, and she had planned to climb someday to look at them. Yet here he saved her the trouble, a gift of effort. What is undeniably true is that he had traveled some distance. She lived nowhere near the Viking villages, on purpose. He'd traveled far, yes. And lastly, it scalded him. Mm. For this one reason, she attended festivals in crowded, smoky halls. For words. For story. And the wandering poets who spoke them, she could not account for the effect these scalds' words had in her. 
When the storyteller stood, and the longhouse grew silent, and they spoke as though voices were passing through them, this was a thing that made her feel as if she were not in her body at all, but seeing dreams alive inside her head. From words, words only, new worlds. So here he gave a gift of words, rumbling in meter and rhyme, even clumsily written, fresh and newborn still, whether he knew it or not. This was a thing that went to her head like the herby smoke that was winding around his. Very well, she reached to take the herb. Ah! He snatched it away, high above his head, scraping the ceiling. If I give you something, you must give me something in turn. Now, this would not do. If she wanted something, she wanted it, and would not be teased by her lack of stature in this world of giants. Mariana, for that was her name, Mariana had the flash of fierce impulse. She would not lose this game. She grabbed him by the beard, stepped on the buckle of his belt, and climbed him like a tree to harvest the herb from his hand with her sharpest knife. The bushy herb fell, and she caught it. And herself was caught in turn, in his arms, her knife trapped against his chest, his face close to hers, his eyes all a twinkle in the firelight, staring up at her and her upraised hand full of leaves and berries. As I said, it is an herb that stokes love and desire. I give you a gift, thus you give me one in turn. A kiss. The heat of the room, the smoke, it was a feeling like a dragon uncoiling, and neither could have said if it was inside either of them, or in both of them, or the little space squeezed between. It was a turning. The bushy herb fell and she caught it, and herself was caught in turn, in his arms, her knife trapped against his chest, his face close to hers, his eyes all a twinkle in the firelight, staring up at her, and her upraised hand full of leaves and berries. As I said, it is an herb that stokes love and desire. I give you a gift, thus you give me one in turn. A kiss. The heat of the room, the smoke, there was a feeling like a dragon uncoiling, and neither could have said if it was inside either of them, or in both of them, with a little space squeezed between. It was a turning, like when you lay abed after too much done on a day, and feel the world spin on its axis. It was a motion like the waves when they stay in your body after a day on the water. It was embers in a fireplace kindled with a soft breath that pulse and glow, then roar and flare to heat and light. It was a thing of magic undeniably. And then, it was a stab of sharp pain in his shoulder that shocked and buzzed his nerves and she fell to her feet. Her long hairpin stood tall from his shoulder joint like a flagpole. No, she would not be trapped like so. She stepped back two paces, shaking the herb at him. No, you may not! Her rage was a trapped animal. Manners, he had none. Understanding, he had only tricks. Stupid, pushing, lumbering moose of a viking. Manners above all. That is not a gift. Where I am from, a gift is not a gift if it is not freely given. It is not a this for that. It is a free thing, and it means only itself. She trembled with her fury. And I will owe no thing to any man now or again, ever. No. Those were all the words she had left. The rest was only snarls. A world grown too large and too close. It was then she saw his face. The mask of a dangerous god. She could see many deaths in his eyes, seen and done. Here was a viking, a scald perhaps, but a poet of a violent land. A warrior, a hero of a folk who worshipped cleverness and danger in equal measure. He had her knife. She had only a magic herb, fire at her back, and him between the door to escape. He rose to his full height and beyond, as if filling somehow with a powerful spirit. Here was her fate, whatever came next. A roar! He bellowed at the ceiling, a long howl, and then bent in half, convulsing. Was he dying, spasming, transforming to a bear, gone berserk, as his people were said to do in battle? Yes, that must be it. When he stood again, his face was twisted, teeth showing, hands shaking side to side. Madness! She snatched up her long iron spoon, a poor weapon, but all she could reach. He gasped then, roared out a string of words. Roar, 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 roar. He held his stomach with one hand, the other arm yet useless and stiff. He glanced sideways at the hairpin in his shoulder and shouted another string of syllables, pronounced, Oh, oh, oh and bent double again with a series of muffled gasps and barks. It took her that long to realize he was laughing. It went on like that for some time before he could stand again, smiling and chuckling to himself, 
wiping his face with the back of his working hand, her knife clenched in that fist. A sudden movement with the knife made her flinch, but he merely flipped it, holding it to her, handle first. As she took it from him, he regained his breath and spoke. Ah, woman, I thank you then for your gifts. Two of them. The first is knowledge of your people and ways, for I would very much like to learn them. At this, he glanced at the long needle poking from his nervous arm, deeply impressed. The second gift I will treasure in the spirit it was given. He carefully plucked it from the nerves of his flesh and was relieved to find his arm able to move. A useful trick. He slid the needle into his boot. But now, he bowed low, intentionally this time, then walked to the door, turning back when he had it open. You have given me two gifts, but I have only given you one. I'm off to find another one, more appropriate, ha! At this, he stomped off into the night, his lantern staff plucked from the snow and swinging above him. And it was only by the time he crossed the clearing and vaulted into the sledge, only after he had shouted his bears into motion, Osco! that she finally regained the use of her words, all she had were the words of her mother tongue. Nevertheless, she rushed to the door and shouted to the moon and forest and all, Idiot, you owe me no gift, none, you owe nothing, you know nothing! Though by then he was gone, except for the echo of his laughter and the tracks he left behind in the snow. Santa Claus, a romance. So the thought I had long ago was trying to wonder how it was that these Odin myths got transformed into the icon of Christianity, though most of the um, the holiday itself still retains the, the pagan Yule trappings. Um, and it occurred to me also that um, these uh, very violent northern myths didn't tend to have a great deal of love in them and there was also this um, concept this woman uh, we call Mrs. Claus and we know nothing else besides that um, and so it made me wonder what there was there that was sort of stirring and, and hiding in, in the story um, and how did this icon sort of uh, become a, a Christian um, being um, hero <clears throat> and uh, if you look into the myths of Saint Nicholas I mean one of the things that's interesting is uh, Saint Nicholas of Myrna was actually um, the patron saint of uh, prostitutes and uh, unmarried women um, that he was known for giving gifts but it would be leaving gifts of gold uh, to a woman who didn't have a dowry to um, to wed um, and uh, Having read Michael Chabon's Gentleman of the Road, which is sort of uh, a rambling tale of um, um, two young heroes, uh, well, not totally young, actually, um, it, it made me want to write something in that sort of epic traveling style. So uh, here I had two protagonists, uh, and a friend of mine also asked me once to read uh, a romance, and I became curious about the form of that. How do you play with that and see if you can turn it into both action-adventure and also have two characters who 
in theory, eventually fall in love somehow. So um, I use the character of uh, Mariana to sort of hopefully eventually bend uh, Kringle towards um, the principles of kindness and um, uh, care and those sorts of things, um, despite his violent past and oblivious nature. So that's what I'm writing to discover, is how that works out. <clears throat> you have access to the airwaves. What is one thing that you would like to say to the world? Take delight in the little stories that you find. Um, follow your curiosities. Um, open every tab in your mind um, and follow them. Uh, we sort of live in this world now where any question you have can carry you off into an adventure of wonder and knowledge um, that these supercomputers would carry in our pocket. And I think too many people feel like they don't have a story to tell. And I think it's more about finding the stories inside your own curiosity or through the lens of your own life. Um, and I think it's, it's worth it for each of us to feel like, hmm, I can tell a little piece of a story. Um, yeah, a little piece of a story. Um, because we each are given our own unique perspective. Um, I think of living our lives as sort of taste buds on the tongue of divinity. Um, and uh, without the bitter, the sour, all of it, um, life itself would lack savor. So contribute your little spark of taste. You just listened to Get Lit on Easy Public Library podcast recorded from the Recording Lab studio in historic modernized Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library in downtown Washington, D.C.